Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. Well, it's so good to have everyone here this morning. And if you're visiting with us, please let us know. Let the guys at the cafe know and we'll give you a free coffee. Say hello. We'd love to uh, welcome you here. Uh, and uh, a coffee has, is a good way of doing that, right? Well, I'm going to jump right in this morning. Um, it feels like every week... I could probably talk politics for the first five minutes of it, just because it's so crazy out there. But I'm going to resist. Is that okay? I'm going to resist this week. Is God waiting on us? Is God waiting on you and on me? I wonder. Let's just pose that question for a minute. I'm going to read. I haven't put it up here this morning because it's a little bit... It's too much, but I'm going to read from 2 Kings 22 if you want to kind of jump with me. Um, and I touched on this uh, last week, and it's talking about um, Josiah, who was very young, eight years old when he became king. And his father, grandfather, and, and a few generations before that, for quite a few generations, uh, kings in Judah had been very ungodly kings. So I'm just going to set the scene. In comes little Josiah at eight years old, becomes king, uh, and he is following after generations and generations of sinful, ungodly kings who have ruled this godly land, and they've forgotten the covenant with David. They've forgotten the Lord's laws and covenant with David. And so um, Josiah becomes king, uh, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And then I'm going to just jump down to um, verse 3. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent uh, Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the grandson of Meshulam. I'm going to get some names wrong, but you know what I mean. The court secretary to the temple of the Lord. He told them, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the temple of of the Lord's temple. Entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay the workers. They will need to hire carpenters, etc., etc. Uh, then I'm going to go down to verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Now, this is their Bible. They've rediscovered the Bible, the scrolls. Uh, that's how ungodly we can get after generations of forgetting the laws of, of the Lord. And, and Josiah had... Um, I didn't even see that, so... Hey, you can come up, Zeph, and join me. It'll, it'll improve the aesthetics on stage anyway. Anyway, getting back to that... So King Josiah, by sending these guys in, to, they'd done a clean out of the temple and they've rediscovered the law. Sometimes we need to do a clean out to rediscover things. And sometimes we need to recognize that it might mean 
reinstating some things. So let's keep reading here what happens. Hilkiah the priest, um, uh, verse 9, Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the lords to the workers. Uh, Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He'd never heard this before. Amazing, isn't it? Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, uh, Akbar's son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Asahiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people of all Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll scroll that have been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. So Hilkiah the priest and all of them went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shulam, uh, son of Tikvah, not Tiktok, Tikvah, <laughs> son of Hahas, uh, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words, I mean, this is not what you go to a prophet for. But this is what the Lord said through this prophet, prophetess. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. I'm very angry with them for everything they've done. My anger will burn against this place and it will not be quenched. Verse 18 says, But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, This is what the Lord of God of Israel says concerning the message you've just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate, you tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. And I'm just going to finish off reading what he then does. So King Josiah, after repenting, after reforming and um, and and bringing and hearing the word of the Lord through this prophetess, then the king summoned all the elders of Ju Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people, along with the priests and prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. There, the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws and decrees with all his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were read in the scroll. Then he instructed Hilkiah, the high priest and the priests of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah and the power, uh, powers of the heavens. The king had all these things burned outside Jerusalem. And then it goes on. He tore down all the strongholds. He got rid of the male and female prostitutes that were in the temple. Can you believe that? Child sacrifice, all sorts of other demonic, un godly things were going on in the land because of generations of forgetting God's law. And so where am I going with this today? The first thing to say is that here we have a great example of many kings who were before him had all the same resources, all the same opportunities, all the same posture, uh, authority, riches, wealth, God's calling, everything. 
All of them had the same opportunity, but it took one man to actually go and seek out the law, find the law, obey the law, and actually do something about it. And it's interesting, isn't it, that all of us in this room today have the same opportunity to obey God in exactly the same capacity. It will look different for all of us, but we all have the same level. The tank is the same size of obedience. It's a matter of whether we will or whether we won't. And we don't get it right all the time. I don't get it right all the time. But obedience is a key to authority. Obedience is a key to releasing God's kingdom through our lives. And we see it in Josiah here. When he hears that word, the word of God, he knows it. And the first thing he does is he obeys. He listens to that word. He realizes its truth. And it cuts him to the heart, so to speak, and it brings about repentance. We are living in a day where we have forgotten about repentance. The church, in some ways, we've forgotten about repentance because repentance is hard. Repentance means that we have to take something which is God's word and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it does cut us sometimes, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when you read it or when you're confronted with his truth, it, it divides bone and marrow and it divides in us. And these days, in a, in a culture that is, uh, you, you cannot offend anyone or you will be cancelled, you cannot say anything that will offend anyone, especially if they're a minority group, we're living in a day and age where this thing, the gospel, does offend. I don't know about you, but the Bible does offend. It offends the mind to reveal the heart. And it, it is doing that because God's word wants to sharpen us and strengthen us and purify us. A world that does not want to be purified wants to revel in its sin. It, it, it arcs up in false offense to, to make it feel better about its sin. It is still sin. It is still sin. Even, even if we form an argument and, and we weaponize that, so to speak, and make everyone who's believing in this book, and if we're down to the very last person here on earth that's, that's remembering this thing, like Noah, then we're still believing the truth. It really doesn't matter what the masses are saying. You might have seen the, the media are celebrating because Christianity is supposedly not the predominant in Australia anymore. In the census, you know, and of course the census was manipulated to make Christianity look worse than it actually is. And there was a whole campaign, I don't know if you saw it, especially on social media, by atheist societies and other groups that don't like Christians uh, to, to write no religion in the census. I don't know if you saw some of that stuff. But that was, that was rife, particularly for the next generation. Write no religion. If you have no association, write no religion. And so why would they even need to campaign that? Why would you advertise on social media using money to tell people what to write in the census? We've got to be careful we're not being brainwashed. And so we've got to think about the agendas. We've got to think about this stuff. Here we are. I oh know I'm getting back on track now. Here we are looking at a king that did not settle for everything that is just going in the laws of the land. He didn't just settle for everything. God's word revealed truth and he tore his clothes in repentance and, and brought them back to the original covenant. 
our, our original covenant looks a little different now. I, I'm glad it does. I like living in a New Testament era. Because every single one of us in this room has the same access. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to hear the word of the Lord through a prophet anymore. We have direct access. That's the new covenant. The curtain was torn and you and I have access into the inner sanctum, into that place of intimacy with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we can see from this is there is a time where God sovereignly, and you're going to say, man, you're really pushing, uh, if you're a theological person, pushing Arminianism this morning. It's all about us and our free will and our activism. No, it's not, because God sovereignly chose to put you on the earth. And he sovereignly chose to save you by his grace and me. And so in that sovereignty, he then has an atmosphere, an opportunity for us to take up what he's calling us to. It's both the sovereignty of God and the free will of us humans. And it combines together to create an opportunity for God's kingdom to be released. Is God waiting on you today? Is he waiting on you like he was waiting on a righteous king to come about and rediscover his word, rediscover the truth? Is he waiting on something? Has he put something in your heart that you've sat aside for, for a long time out of disappointment, out of fear, out of just not wanting to go there? But he's placed it in you. I want to encourage you, if it's from him, if it's God-breathed, if it's God-inspired and you know it's of him, then rediscover the word rediscover that word, rediscover the calling. Because when we do, yes, sometimes he will, he will ask us to tear down the old ways, the old patterns, the old thinking, but it will release a reestablishing and a rebuilding. And this is what we see with King Josiah. He reestablished God's kingdom in the land and they flourished. And he, even through the prophet, isn't it interesting that God can change his mind? Have you ever puzzled about that in Scripture? He says these really dominating, um, very deathly statements uh, quite a number of times in the Old Testament. But because someone turned their heart in repentance, he withholds his wrath. And all the more today under a new covenant of grace and mercy. And we can actually see that all of that wrath was placed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. We deserve it, but it was placed upon him. And then we can still have access into the Holy of Holies, that place of intimacy that used to only be for a select few. You have direct access today. You have direct access today. Is God waiting on you for your King Josiah moment to rediscover the word? to rediscover the truth, to rediscover that fire of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something that I regularly pray about when I'm seeking God about our current environment and the world we live in. I'm, I, I'm always asking him, God, we need you to come and move like never before. And it's an interesting thing because I think, well, doesn't he know that already? Does he need me to remind him? But he likes you and me. Asking, knocking, seeking. He likes it when we go to him with prayers and petitions and requests and intercession because it's a relationship. And sometimes we need to reestablish 
some of these things so that we can be in a place of changing the atmosphere around us. And it sounds very spiritual, but often it just means keeping your peace. Often it just means living in faith, not in fear. Often it just means very simple things. But God wants to move in your life. He wants to move through you. Maybe he's waiting on you for obedience. Maybe he's waiting on you just to believe. Some of you haven't thought you've good enough. I want to encourage you, you are good enough. If you're alive and you have a heartbeat, you are good enough. God sovereignly placed you on earth. And you're in the best church in the world. I say that with a smile because I know we're not. We're like every other church in the world. We're just humans who love Jesus, who know we're saved by grace, and we don't do it better than anyone else. But at the end of the day, we're here like a ragtag mob worshipping Jesus, saying, come on, do something, Lord. Would you do something through us? And maybe he's waiting on a whole bunch of people who just are crazy enough to believe for God to move. And to rediscover the word of God, rediscover the truth. Maybe we've forgotten about some of this stuff. I know I have. Karen and I are doing a couple of weeks of, of prayer ministry. I, uh, I won't say too much, but it's just personal ministry for Karen and I. And, uh, and it means rediscovering some stuff. And so hopefully I'm here next week still. You know, we'll see how it goes this week. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's pretty intense, but it's good. It's good. It's, it's, it's about tearing stuff down and rebuilding. And it's a good thing she brings wheatgrass shots to us every morning. So I've had mine this morning and the whole family is having wheatgrass shots every day. So it, it energizes you if, you if you don't know that. But, um, but anyway, here's a quote I want to finish up with this morning. The Son of Man has become the Son... The Son of God has become the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. I'm going to read that again just so that you get that. The Son of God has become the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Daughters, absolutely, 100% in that too. Sons and daughters of the living God. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. You're not in between. You're not confused. You're not a mixed gender. You are either a son or a daughter of the living God. Some of you have even begun to doubt whether God has given you the gifting, whether he's given you the calling, whether you're good enough. Do you know what? The good thing about grace is it doesn't matter whether you're good enough because no one in the room is good enough. No one in this world is good enough. No matter what they look like or sound like, the cross levels up for all of us. Jesus, our Savior, levels the whole game. We're all in exactly the same place. I was thinking about it this week. It's, it's we, in, particularly in the West, have so much. We have so much given to us. We have so many advantages in this life than in other parts of the world and the persecuted church. And all over the world, there's different situations. But God is the master of justice. He is the master of righteousness. So I wonder if when we get to heaven, a whole lot of stuff that we major on means nothing to him, means absolutely zero to him. 
because he looks at the heart. He loved David because of his heart. He loves your heart. He doesn't necessarily love our hands. He loves your heart. He loves your faith. He loves your affection. He loves your worship. These are all things you can do. Even if you don't think you're gifted, you are very, very, very gifted to him. And when we give that to him, watch him promote you. Watch him release you. Watch him elevate you. Watch him pour out blessing upon your life because when we give him our heart, he then releases more to us. The Son of God has become the Son of Man that the sons of men might become the sons of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Don't let anyone make you feel lesser than. You might be at school or university, two of the worst places right now for mind craziness. I mean that. And then there's other places that you could, you could go as well. But the enemy is trying to capture the minds of a generation. But God wants to call them back. God wants to call them back. And I know one of the interesting things for me in, in the great preacher R.T. Kendall preaches on yesterday's man, today's man, tomorrow's man. I've got to stay in tomorrow's man. And tomorrow's man is going to have to major on the gospel more than on the problems because the next generation, all they'll hear is you judging their problems. I'm preaching to myself here because I've got a week of healing ministry this week. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because this generation has more bombardment from the enemy than ever before. I'd love you to stand and, and the worship team to come. Weird place to land this morning, but I'd love it if, if you would join me. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for God to rediscover some things, to reestablish some things, and for him to move in us and in our city, would you just lift your hands even now and begin to posture your heart, begin to just hunger after him for, for our sovereign God to come and move in and through us. And I ask you that question again, is God waiting for you? Is he waiting for you this morning to reestablish things in your life, in your heart, in your home, in your region, in your workplace? You don't have to become an activist, just obedience. Whatever authority he's given you, you have, you have the right to rule and reign in that region. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning. We lay down those things that are obstacles and that have been in the way of you breaking through in our land, so to speak. And Lord, we pray you would reestablish your kingdom in our lives. You would bring your truth, your strength, your life to, to us and to our homes and to our streets and our cities. Holy Spirit, I ask right now you would place in us, a Harvest Church family, a fresh hunger for a move of God in our city and in our region. We can't make it happen, but we can ask you. Luke 11, ask, seek, knock. How much more will I give to us? And so, Lord, we trust you this morning. We ask you to come and move on the lost, 
on the distracted, on the disappointed, the disaffected, the straying, on those who have never heard the name of Jesus. They wouldn't even know what we do in this building on Sunday mornings. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and move like never before. We need you to come and move over us in the church and out the church. So we say, come and use us, Lord Jesus. Come and have your way in our lives. Come and have your way in us, Holy Spirit. So we're going to worship for a couple of minutes. And I I want us to just lift the roof off. I want us to worship Him. Let things go. Let, Let idols, let distractions, just loose it all off your spirit this morning. And stand in fresh faith, fresh fire, and a fresh opportunity of obedience for God to break through in our lives. So let's worship Him together as a church family.